right, welcome to another very special Pro Football Doc Sports Injury Central podcast. Right now we have guests. Come the regular season, we won't have time for guests. Too many injury things. But this is what I like about the off-season podcast. Although it's kind of in-season now, lots of injury news to break down, and we'll do that in the second half. But more interesting, first half here, very special guest, uh, the great Robert Smith, uh, who I've actually here and there known for quite a long time robert welcome to the show thanks doc appreciate it thanks for having me on what are you best known as the ohio state running back the <laughs> minnesota vikings running back the fox analyst uh the well, well what's what's your what like when 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 someone sees you at the restaurant or the mall what are you known as uh not the real robert smith the real robert smith is the lead singer of the cure or the or the billionaire <laughs> investor or, well, Wolfman, or Wolfman Jack. Did you know that? Wolfman Jack's real name was Robert Smith. All right. Well, that's interesting. That's a, quite a collection <laughs> of Robert Smiths. But, you know, Smith, though, is – look, I shouldn't say the same thing. There's a lot of David Chow's out there, too, because Chow is like Smith, right? In, yeah. <laughs> in Chinese, it's Smith or Jones, right? Different spellings of Chow, but Smith or Jones. But Robert Smith, that's a pretty good collection. You could be the football Robert Smith, the billionaire Robert Smith, Wolfman Jack. And what was the other one? The the uh, the Cure singer. I don't know which one I'd rather be. I, you can make a case for Robert Smith, the football player. I mean, you're in there. You'll get some votes. Uh, well, that's a, that, yeah. That's a, that. It always feels good. It depends on where where you are. You know, if I'm if I'm up in Minnesota, I'm the football player Robert Smith, or at least the Viking Robert Smith. And then if I'm in Ohio, it's the it's the Buckeye Robert Smith. And uh, if uh, if if I'm in other places, a lot of times, you know, most people know me from seeing seeing me either uh, uh, doing some sort of a, a football broadcast or something like that. Yeah. So I, when I when we first met, it was in Minnesota. Um, you know, people say Chargers. Look, I spent more time with the Vikings and had a bigger role with the Vikings than probably anyone else on. Twitter or social media that claims any team relationships. I only claim the Chargers because I was a head team position. It was 17 years, but I spent time in Minnesota. I was an assistant under Dr. Fisher, right? And uh, he'd done your ACLs and so forth. And uh, you were coming off another ACL and rehabbing and doing real well, even though there was a little bit of muscle atrophy there. But that's actually where you first met. Actually, Dr. Fisher uh, didn't do my ACLs, though. Okay. My ACL was done uh, by my ACL and my MCL PCL were, were both done by uh, uh, Dr. Stedman. In oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, anyways, you were rehabbing there, et cetera, and uh, obviously had your share of injuries over time. But uh, <laughs> I've always wanted and then And then we've chatted a couple times since Twitter, this, that, the other, and, and you, your interests are very eclectic. And so I want to give you the open mic in a little bit but first off the question is for you you walked away at a very young age barry sanders age right mm-hmm. at the prime of your career age 28 poised to get a new deal any regrets and and why did you walk away no no regrets at all and you know when i when i broke the or when i tore the acl in 93 it was my rookie season december 5th 1993 up in detroit 
Uh, I also did some damage. I broke the bottom of the femur and did some damage to the articular surface. And, uh, you know, for those that have probably listened to you, they know that's that smooth area on the bottom of the bottom of the bone there. And I needed to have a couple microfractures uh, performed, uh, I, I believe, after 98. And then my last season was the only season I didn't miss any games. Mm. And I still needed knee surgery after the year. So I had to have another microfracture after the season was done. And I was just like, you know, it's better to walk away early than to limp away late. Uh, you're right. I mean, I had voided the last two years of my contract with performance incentives. And it, 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 and I didn't want to be anywhere else. I didn't want to start anywhere else. I knew I would probably wouldn't finish out another contract. And I also could have been a 45-year-old knee replacement guy. I didn't have a I didn't have any kids then. Uh, grateful that I do now, 11 and 13. Um, but you know now I can run around with them to a degree. I can bend down and look at putts, and I'm not so sure that would have been the case if I had played much longer. Gotcha. So you walked away at a very you know financially. Obviously, it's the wrong decision, but there's more than finances, right? To to any uh decision well but 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 then again you know people would say is it the wrong decision financially uh, i would ask this question if if you'd give any amount of money to have your health back what's the amount of money that's worth losing it i don't know no it's great so uh uh obviously well ahead of the health and safety era and retirement you you uh you did it there and uh nowadays um you, you know in theory you could have gotten another 5 year 25 million dollar contract you know fast forward 20 30 years right since 93 to 30 years. fast forward 30 years 5 years 25 million uh, running back contracts have not kept up with inflation, especially the NFL inflation, right? <laughs> no, that no, they certainly haven't, but the game isn't the same as it was then. And I think, you know, when people look at the running back situation in isolation, they're really missing the bigger picture. I mean, you look at what's happened with quarterbacks and we're talking 40, $50 million a year. Uh, we look at uh, defensive ends the guys that are attacking the quarterback. We look at the guys protecting the quarterback. I mean, it's a passing league. And people that people that say, yes, the running back position is extremely important. There's no question about that. But the real question is, is there value in giving that money to one player? Or does it make more sense to spread it out among a number of players, uh, not just because of the way that the game has changed, mostly three wide receiver sets, a lot of passing, uh, but because of the higher injury risk factor to just giving the ball to one bell cow, quote unquote, back time and time again. And I think what all people also miss about the NFL system, they'll say, oh, well, it's it's a salary cap. You know, there are a lot of teams that have salary cap money. Cowboys, one of the most in the league. And they certainly could have gotten a deal done with Tony Pollard if they felt that their value was going to match the value that Tony Pollard wanted. But the thing about the NFL is if you're saying that running backs are underpaid in this system, then you're essentially saying that other people are overpaid in this system. Because unlike baseball, that people seem to think has the greatest system in the world because there's no free agency, they also don't have a salary floor. Uh, you look at a team like uh, uh, Oakland, and obviously we know Oakland's going to be moving. And this is part of the reason 
Um, you know, there, there are 11 running backs that are going to make more than any player uh, on the Oakland A's roster this year. And Oakland only has five players that make more than $1 million on their active roster right now. They've got a few more uninjured. But what a team in baseball can do, unlike what you can do in football, is just dump salary. You have to keep that money in the locker room in the NFL. Over a three-year period, 90% of that money from the salary cap has to be spent on the players. So if it's not going to the running back, it's going to the left tackle. If it's not going to left tackle, then it's going to a guard. If it's not going to a guard, it's going to a defensive end, or it's going to an interior defensive lineman where we've seen the most growth for salary. And, 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 and you make a very good point there. I mean, maybe you should have been a candidate for the NFLPA job, right? <laughs> that, that's what people overlook in, in the CBA and what, and what they've uh, done there. There is that balance. But why do you think this? Okay, so back nowadays, look, even as I was finishing up, Ladanian Thompson was great, but he wasn't. There was a transition even during his era away from the three down running back. I mean, it was Darren Sproles at third down, and, and there were others that came in there too. But nowadays, it's running back by committee is the absolute norm, and there isn't one person. Why? And, and we know there's a lot of substitutions in other areas. It used to be, right, it was said, no, the, run, the single running back needed to stay in the game because they needed to get in the game flow, right? They get going and they get a feel for the game. Now it doesn't. And then if you really think about it, you know, a quarterback, they got to get in the game flow. Well, they're not calling plays anymore. I mean, I often wondered, I mean, there are situationally uh, who potentially is – better in a certain situation i mean this is earlier in my career but even with the chargers i mean third and ten you'd rather perhaps have drew Brees, but third and two would you rather have doug flutie right <laughs> i mean you can run pass or on a two-point conversion yeah. right i mean uh, or you know the same with with other athletes but the quarterback's been sacrosanct your offensive line has still been sacrosanct but pretty much everyone else or most others, you know, okay, some of the DBs don't come off the field, but they change where they play. It's it's interesting how the league has morphed, but not for all positions. Like defensive line, pass rush specialist, run, rotation, the whole thing. You never see that on the offensive line, right? Offensive line and quarterback seem to be the sacrosanct ones. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the rise of analytics and the use of analytics has certainly affected this. And the analogy that I would use, once again, talking about baseball is wins against replacement, right? Uh, if, if somebody else is in your position and playing your position in a game, does the team have a significantly smaller chance to win without you? I mean, that's what it comes down to. It's how well, how easy it is to replace another player. It's not just hey, we think he's a good player and he can do great things when he's in there. Like a Saquon Barkley, there's no questioning his talent, his ability, his versatility, all of those things. But the question is, do the Giants still think that they can win without giving him what he wants? And that's what salary negotiations always come down to. Yeah, no no question. And I learned very early on, uh, when I first started in with the Chargers, not – Vikings did a little bit with the Bears before the Vikings, but with the Chargers, I was really impressed. Natron Means was our guy, <laughs> right? 
Natron Means, a great running back. Yeah, I remember. Co combination of power and some dancing ability. Kind of a Jerome Bettis, maybe a smaller version of Jerome Bettis. But anyways, I used to remember him coming in the locker room on Mondays. Could barely walk. Yeah. Was so sore, right? And that's what I thought about. It. And you, you, you tell me if this analogy holds true. Let's say Robert Smith or Natron Means gets 20 carries in a game. How many hits do you take? out of those 20 forget the blocking and this that the other but on any one play all right there might be once you get run out of bounds or twice but you may hit two or three people on a certain play so let's just say it's the number of hits more than one hit on a play is equal to the number of carries because there may be a time you go down out of bounds or something get run out of bounds etc but those 20 hits and that would be the minimum in my mind is by eight other players or nine other players you're not only are you as a running back on the receiving end of those 20 hits the person on the delivering end can get a blow too right can be sore too but it's eight different guys hitting right. you 20 times <laughs> right yeah. i mean so that's right. the distribution difference where Natron means, man, I and mean, he was tough. He he probably took two or three on, on every given play. So he probably took 40 to 50 by 10 <laughs> different guys, right? So the other yeah. guy's got four or five hits. They're still sore. He's got 40 to 50 in a given game. And uh, that's where the running backs and the health, as you point out, it's a numbers game. It's the amount of time. It's You're the target and the amount of times you get hit, you know, especially if you're running in traffic, you know. Yeah, not and and not just the number of hits that you're going to be taking and the amount that you're going to wear down, but how easy it, is it to bring in another player that can do the same thing? And I know that people talk about the Isaiah Pacheco example. Certainly, I believe rarity, a seventh rounder. Uh, you know, I heard the analogy used earlier. It's like saying you can always find a sixth round quarterback because of the Tom Brady example. Like, you, don't want, <laughs> you don't want to overdo the analogy, but there are a ton of young backs coming up every single year that can play the position. And you get those guys pass block in the right way, and they've kind of got everything that they need. I believe that it's the easiest position to make the transition from the college level to the pro level. It's just the nature of the position. Protections aren't that difficult. It's done from depth in the backfield, so you have a little bit of time to figure out who it is that you need to pick up. And that's really the toughest part. The toughest part is figuring out pass protection. Because if you can't block for that guy that's the most valuable player on the team, you have a pretty small chance of really getting on the field consistently. But as far as the running schemes go and figuring out where to go uh, on, a, on a particular play, aiming points, how do you set things up uh, with defenders, that stays pretty much the same. Or at least thing, there are things that you can pick up pretty quickly. But you can plug those guys in pretty fast. And you've got a new batch of guys every year, younger, fresher legs, fewer hits. And that makes it difficult to commit the types of dollars that some of the top end guys want, especially after they've been carrying the ball for five or six years. And there's a, another piece of this that I think needs to be mentioned. And that's that the veterans were clamoring for a rookie wage scale. And it's funny because Gene Upshaw always said that, he would never agree to a rookie wage scale because he said, look, they say that they, they want to pay the rookies less, but it means that they want to pay all of you less. But of course, having the protections in where you have to pay out a certain amount of the 
uh, salary cap money that a team gets to the players eliminate some of that. But that's what's happening as well. You get a guy, a running back that comes in, signs for four or five years, and if he's playing during that time, he's taking a lot of hits, a lot of wear and tear, and so doesn't have an opportunity to hit the open market uh, and to really push that value up. And that's what we saw this past season with the franchise tag being applied to Brandon Jacobs, uh, to uh, Tony Pollard, and to Saquon Barkley, three of the top backs that were available as free agents, they never became available. So they were never able to push that envelope. But I think all of those things combined with the fact that the game has changed the way that it has offensively and defensively, that the running back value has gone down the way that it has. No question. And and uh, obviously you meant Josh Jacobs misspoke. Oh, oh, yeah, but whatever, it's, it's all good. <laughs> but I think also if you look at it, the NFL is such a copycat league. If you really look at the last few big running back contracts, they really didn't work out. Exactly. Todd Gurley and others, right? And so other GMs and teams are not dumb. They're like, no, nah, well, we're not going down that path. What do you make of uh, – of, uh, I'm blanking oh, on his name now. The uh, FLPA president, J.C. Treader. What do you make of his comments related to holding in, et cetera, related to injuries and, and to get leverage, et cetera? Well, I mean, that sounds good in principle, but the next guy is ready to step up. And again, it comes down to, are you that much more valuable than the guy that's going to be replacing you? And I think Dalvin Cook in Minnesota are a prime example of this. Nobody would question Dalvin Cook's value to the Minnesota Vikings team and his performance from a year ago, not just in the running game, but in the passing game as well. But they're saying, okay, well, we've got Alexander Madison. We've got Ty Chandler. We've got Dwayne McBride, uh, the rookie that uh, that we drafted this past year. We think that as valuable as you are, you're not eight-figure valuable to us. And you could say, well, if he was there, he would have been holding out of practice. They wouldn't even give him that opportunity. They said, you know what? We're just going to cut you. And 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 the, the greatest value that – or the uh, greatest leverage that any player has is, okay, well, then I'm just going to sit. But if you sit, then they don't have to pay you. And, yes, you can you can talk about faking injuries, whatever the case may be. That's why they don't even want to give those guys an opportunity to come in. Yeah, no, I, I get you. And, and you know, there, of course, there's in all this, there's the integrity question, right? I mean, you could have, we talked about it, you could have signed another deal knowing that you weren't going to finish, got some upfront money and guaranteed money, and then said, look, my knees went bad. There's an yeah. integrity issue. I get it. But I, I remember there was a situation, and in, in this is in San Diego, Melvin Gordon. This was yeah. San Diego still, I believe. Um, like Melvin G Gordon was holding out and getting fined. He's still on his rookie deal. His deal tolls. He's getting fined. He's not getting paid, and he's not, has no path to free agency. Those are perhaps times you would quote hold in. And I guess I would never suggest to a player, you know, fake an injury, right? Um, but there are a lot of times when you're hurting and you say, "I can go," or "I'm hurting and I can't go." I right. mean, your back is sore. Well, if I were had a, had my deal, I'd play through this. But now, I mean, faking injuries is, is a different thing. And, and, and I'll be the first to admit here that I have never participated 
in a player on the field faking an injury. But we have participated in take a moment here and make sure you're right because you're out one play anyways. Let's make sure you're back the next play. Uh, or You know, that, that, that kind of uh, stuff. Uh, that's not faking an injury. I've never participated in faking an injury. Whenever I ran out there, there was a real injury. How bad and how we handled it may have been a different story, but it was never faking an injury. And I guess that's maybe what J.C. Treader was saying to accentuate certain injuries as opposed to faking. I don't know. I, I'd actually be curious to chat with him about that. But it's an interesting concept. It's, I mean, interesting and but also, do, do you really think that increases your value? Or do you think that uh, at the end of that, that teams are just going to say, well, if they're going to do this anyway, then we better pay them more money? Absolutely not. They're going to say, no, well, I get you there. But I mean, you'd I mean, have to. That's I mean, it. I mean, you have to think, well, what's your end goal in doing that? Getting some free money on, on the current deal? Or is it increasing the value of deals overall? Because if you're not going to increase the value of the deals overall, then is it really a successful strategy? No, I get you. All you'd be doing is taking your franchise tender and starting to collect on the 10 million or whatever it is right. while you didn't put more wear and tear on your body. But on the back end, you're right. It doesn't make you that valuable. I won't say who. Uh, there was a time when uh, there was a running uh, player who uh, was poised to do well uh, and uh, had an injury. I, I won't say who because I didn't. I'm sure he'd say, fine, I could tell a story, but I don't have a HIPAA permission from him. And I uh, said, well, I think you can finish the season. We can have surgery at the end of the season. And he said, great. Yeah. Cause we're on a playoff run. Let's go. And he came back an hour later and said, I think I'm going to have the surgery and my season's going to end. I'm like, why? I go, you know, I'm not lying to you, right? Like I think it's safe and you'll make you, your, your recovery timeline will be in the off season and you know, you can play through. I, I would tell the other guy the same thing. I'm not trying he goes, no, no, no I know you are. He goes, but my agent said, you know, I need to be healthy for the start of free agency. And if I put off this surgery in the season, there's an issue. And my response to him was, well, you're a part-time guy now with a lot of potential. Someone's going to pay you to be a full-time guy, 200, 250 carries. You really going to get paid if you can't crack a hundred carries and you get yeah. injured? Right. <laughs> Are you really going to get paid? You know, I mean, and uh, he thought about it and he actually uh, finished the season and told oh, his agent no. And, and, and it did work out for him, I believe. Uh, but, you know, I'm sure uh, there were other things involved, too. But you're right. It's how you're playing that sets you up, how you get paid. And if you're sitting, you're not sure you're nowhere and tear on your body. But, you know, it, it adds extra question marks and. And I think sometimes extra question marks in the minds of decision makers, that means we really can't give them the guaranteed money because, you know, there's a, what if there's another shenanigan there down the road, right? I yeah, mean, it's, a, it's again, it's, you know, it sounds, sounds like it might be effective, but if your overall, if your overall goal is to increase the value of running backs, you're not really doing it because if you're sitting out, you're injured, they have somebody else in there, they're performing well, all they're doing is demonstrating that the one back huge salary mentality isn't the way to go because yeah. we, have, we have too much risk of he's he may get hurt anyway because that's the nature of the running back position. Or if he doesn't feel 
that the contract is is compensating him at the level that he wants, that he's not going to play. So how does that change the strategy of a general manager? It doesn't, and at yeah. least in a positive way for the players. Sure, and, and this is a perfect transition to the next question for you because you've done a ton of college work in addition to the NFL and obviously played very well in college. What's how does this translate your train of thought to players sitting out bowl games, right? Because, you know, I've often wondered, okay, it's good for your health, but is there a doubt in the GM's mind? Like, okay, well, you're not really there for your team. It's about you and your contract. And obviously we'll get to NIL, but what, how do you think that translates? Yeah, and I think it's it's individual. I think that it just depends on, on a, a case-by-case basis. Is it really a player – uh, sitting out of a meaningless bowl game, or is it uh, a player sitting out most of the season? Uh, I think a lot of people questioned Jackson Smith and Jigba a year ago, and how much did it really hurt him? You still end up being uh, a first rounder, uh, and the 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 uh, people making those evaluations felt that uh, it wasn't significant enough to uh, drop him down into the second round, and so uh, you can you can say. Theoretically, it's going to impact a team's decision, a general manager's decision, a coach's decision, but the proof is in what they actually do. So I think it's taken case by case and player by player. I think you're right, and and not to pick on Ohio State players or whatever, but you're from Ohio State and whatever. Nick Bosa did it, right? Yeah. Had a core muscle surgery that probably could have come back midseason, and he decided to shut it down. Didn't hurt him at all. I think what happens is when you're the stud star guy, it probably doesn't hurt you at all when you sit out. But if you're a fungible player, like I think then more heart comes into it and how much do you want it. And But when you're the just the best guy there, then – GMs go, oh, it'll be, it'll be okay. We can overlook that. No one held it against when he held out well, his, well, this season. It kind of answers it then, though, because if you're not one of those guys, if you're not one of those top level guys anyway, then you better be playing because if you don't, you don't even know if they have a high enough grade on you, and all you can do is improve your stock by playing. And you know, for for me. It was, it was the same situation. I just hadn't played in that many games. I think I played probably in less than 20 college games. Like it, it was important for me to be out there, to be a part of everything. And it's just my mindset, like I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have sat out. That's just the way that I am. But um, it, 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 from a value standpoint for me, it made sense to do everything at the combine and to answer every question because there were those doubts there whether it was commitment to the game or uh, is, is it a guy that loves football? Well, the only way to demonstrate that is to go out there and play. And uh, it, was, it certainly wasn't etched in stone when the season ended that I would be in the first round back in 93, but I ended up being in the first round. Yeah. Now, of course, in college landscape, the number one thing is NIL. NIL is everywhere. And I don't know if NIL will ever change players participation in bowl games because i don't know how it's tied to nil or or otherwise but um nil it seems to me like here's my question to you look there are the haves and have nots in football and it already is only a handful of teams that really can win the national championship and if you continue down this path of nil 
I'm in San Diego. San Diego State has had their issues, right? The the Mountain West, Pac-12 fiasco, whatever, whatever. They're back in the Mountain West. But is it even feasible anymore to expect San Diego San Diego State to have ever have a Marshall Falk again? Because all that potentially will happen is when you get a Marshall Falk, they're just going to transfer for the millions of dollars somewhere else to one of the big boy schools. And the big boy schools will take them. It sort of almost cements the only certain number of schools can have a chance to win. And to me, the beauty of college basketball is on any given day, okay, you're not expecting that tiny school to go to the Final Four and win it. But then San Diego State did go to the final game this year, but you, there are upsets to be had throughout the tournament. So I don't know. What do you think about how, what this is going to do to college football NIL in general and where it's going to go and solidifying the group at the top, I think, huh? Yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right. And it's a perfect example. And I was at Ohio state when, when Marshall was uh, at San Diego state, he came out a year later than I did or a couple of years later, but you're right. You know, those, those schools may find, Marshall folks in the future it's just like you said though they're not going to be there for the same or they're not going to be there for the rest of their time and what's going to happen is uh you, you may have a team like a San Diego State or one of these smaller schools you know you look at the the teams like Houston and Cincinnati and BYU and UCF that are now headed to the Big 12 they need to get all of those players at once <laughs> somehow right they need to have like a class of freshmen and everybody missed somehow uh, and try and, and win it when they've got that entire group together. Uh, that's really the only way that, uh, that something like that can happen. But, yeah, it's just, it's just going to make it more difficult uh, to hang on to those guys. It's just the nature of the beast. Well, you know, uh, my 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 guys and producer said, what are you going to talk about with Robert Smith? I said, I don't know, but there's always good stuff to talk about. <laughs> but we have these conversations on the phone and we chat. So I was like, I wasn't worried about it. I'm, I, I told you 15, 20 minutes. We're overtime on that. What else do you want to cover? Where do you want to go? What's interesting you? How are the Vikings going to do this week, this year? You pick the topic here. Oh, wow. I mean, I'm interested to see kind of how it all plays out this season, especially for Minnesota. You know, it it, it, it seems like Quasi, the you know new GM, you know, kind of shedding all of those players from a year ago, talking about seven starters, You're talking about 41 starts just in the cornerbacks alone, losing Cam Dantzler and Patrick Peterson, uh, Shelley. Uh, you know, Chandon Sullivan gone from that secondary. You had so many players gone from that secondary. And then, of course, uh, losing uh, Kendricks at linebacker. Uh, you know, we're going to see what's going to happen with Daniil Hunter, who may be a holdout himself, but Sedarius Smith gone. And then you look at the players gone on offense with Thielen and Cook. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting to me uh, that you would take this strategy right now and uh, – for me, I'm, I'm just curious to see how it all works, especially in a year where Aaron Rodgers is, has gone to, to New York. And, you know, with Green Bay's luck, you know, they'll probably have three straight Hall of Famers, right, at quarterback. <laughs> and Jordan Love's going to end up being a Hall of Fame player as well. But in all seriousness, I mean, the NFC North, I mean, it looks, looks like Detroit's really to lose at this point in the season. But that's why we're at this point of the season, you know. You talk about the injuries and, and the significance of, of injuries. Gardner Johnson went down uh, with an injury today. So, 
you know, and he was a, he was looked he was looked at to be a key piece of a secondary that needed to improve uh, for Detroit. And who knows how that's going to end up now. So, uh, yeah, the early news is they said, quote, no structural damage, but okay. that's injury reporting. So what we do at our site, as you probably know, Robert, Sports Injury Central, we don't do injury reporting. We do injury analysis. We right. don't we want to look at the video of CJ Gardner's play and see how he runs afterwards and do analysis as opposed to take it at its word. But at least the early word is good. I will tell you that last year, our site, we were really high on the Vikings. We said, take the Vikings at plus 240 to win the division. A lot of value there. And we took the overwins on the Vikings and underwins on the Packers. And it really comes down to injuries. That's what yeah. we look at. No GM fields a squad that they think is inferior. If, they, if they're losing guys to injury or projecting guys to be there and they're not there for injury, nobody signs up a team that – doesn't look good on paper, right? But the, that's why we hated the Packers last year because they're like, the left tackle Bakhtiari isn't going to be ready. The right tackle's got issues. And how do you steer protection? That's a nightmare when you have the bookends gone and then you get cluster injuries. And and yeah, it, it worked out for us. We don't have as strong an opinion yet this year on the preseason for the NFC North, but we do have individual team preseason injury previews, and we do break it down to some of the losses that you say, et cetera. But we focus more on injuries and depth and, and on the hidden positions, you know, the, the, the nickel and dime corner, which matter, and uh, the offensive linemen that matter, not just on the star running back or wide receiver, et cetera. Robert, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Anytime I can return the favor, please do. Um, Unless anything else you want to do, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back with the second part, which we'll make you free of. you got a busy life and schedule. I appreciate you, my friend. Uh, thanks for having me on, Doc. Always great to talk to you. All right. Welcome back to part two of this week's Pro Football Doc Sports Injury Central podcast. Robert Smith is fun. He's an intelligent guy. He's I like chatting with him. I don't know. I guess it's a good thing that I always say 15 minutes or so and we always go 30, right? Because... I think we're just chatting and and it's uh it's all good there um welcome to the show jacob's been here and taylor is here um one thing i want to lead off this part of the podcast with is an apology to our uh mental health podcast guys uh anthony servino and his partner what is his name again michael half i believe you say yeah. his last yeah. apologies guys i really i didn't mean to, I don't know. I, I guess I, first of all, that's why I know myself when you're talking about weekends, that's how I was like Taylor or you or how those guys text me a reminder, but I don't know that that would have done it yesterday. We had a little mini uh, fiasco and I'll show you guys here, or maybe uh, Alex will cut it into the podcast. Know that I'm not crazy. We got to know uh, uh, a uh, nice CHP officer there you uh, go. yesterday. Oh, wow. Uh, on the side of the road there. And no, I didn't do anything wrong. I wasn't evading the law. I wasn't speeding. <laughs> we didn't get into an accident. I'm driving along and we're in a section. Of, we went to a mini trip. So there's, you know, we went to Savannah Bananas and this lake place and they played Rancho Cucamonga Quakes. Ah, so that's yeah. drivable from here. Right. I just figured it's, you know, it was far. It was two plus hours. But so we stayed a little bit up that way along the lake. 
I figured it's way more convenient than going to Savannah, Georgia. And of course, you know, so right. anyways, yeah. the kids went, Savannah Bananas, blah, blah, blah. On the way home the next morning, I'm driving and my car also says, air pressure low, pull over immediately, you know, this, that, the other. And uh, I'm like, well, pull over where and how low, right? The car seemed to be still driving, but switched to the right lane and, I don't know if you could tell with that picture. There was those construction blocks. There was, it was a five-lane highway already down to three, and there was no shoulder on the road. And so all of a sudden, the tires started like not like there was like no air, and like literally, I was going two miles an hour. Oh wow! Like like you hear the grinding of the rims, right? But the last thing I want is someone to run in the back of me with the kids and right. everybody. So put on the hazards and whatever, like we're, and we can't really drive anywhere. You can't really get to the middle shoulder, which is like two lanes of higher speed traffic. The car's barely going. The exit's like three quarters of a mile away. I'm like, we're not going to make this exit, yeah. you know, with this car. And so my wife was there and good. We said, look, just got the flashers on. A car had stopped behind us. And so we were pseudo safe. We said, get out, just put the kids on the side of the road, but across the barrier, right? Right. And then my my daughter, God bless her, was all crying. Oh, dad's still in the car. I'm like, okay, I better get out. <laughs> and then uh, I was going to go out the driver's side. No, no, don't go out the driver's side. You got to go out the passenger side. So now I'm crawling through the car, you know, <laughs> Mr. Nimble, you know, old guy. Get out. And, and uh, there was a van, kind of a motorhome behind it. You know, they're pulling a, something. They were nice. My wife jumped out, waved at him, said, look, can you just stay here a second until we vacate, you know, and then slowly. So they were good. And we called highway patrol and the tow truck and the da da da. But it was a little bit of a ordeal fiasco. But the amazing thing is, as nice as that one guy was, there were three or four people after he got out yelling as they ran, went by, you can't park here. I'm like, you think I actually parked here? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you it's can really see like the wheels there. off the, the tire off the rim of the car on the back. I mean, the car is canted sideways. That's like bit. some new social media thing. They they saw a video of someone yell that. So that's probably why. They, oh, is it? Yeah. It's like, you can't park. Yeah. I, I mean, you think I wanted to park? <laughs> <laughs> the car didn't go anywhere. Anyways, long, long apology. Anthony Servino, Michael, sorry. I hate to be unreliable. I didn't even think about it during that time. I was, in theory, we were supposed to be home. And then I had half an hour and, you know, with that fiasco, I didn't even know it till later in the day that I missed right. it. So I apologize um, uh, there and I'll, I'll make it up to you guys however I can. All right. What do we got for the next? Uh, and, and I really like that podcast. I've enjoyed that mental health I've podcast. Your third year in a row. I've been your third year in a row. You do like it. I uh, yeah. I mean, those are good guys. And, and I think it's necessary to talk about the mental health side and, you know, I didn't know where I was going to go this year, wherever they wanted to, but maybe more positive messages since it seemed like some of my other ones were like more about realizing the reality of mental health. Right. But whatever. Uh, well, we'll, maybe we'll get on with them another time if they're not hating me. So Michael, Anthony, I apologize. All right. What else do we got here? Uh, plenty of training camp news. I mean, it just opened for, uh, I think vets report tomorrow, but, um, still some, some early action, Got got a kind of a weird one with Naeem Hines. Apparently, uh, he's out for the season, knee injury. And then details came out later that he was actually on a jet ski. I don't know where, but got run into by another jet skier while he's sitting there stationary and was diagnosed with a torn ACL. So, well, look, there's no video. We wish Naeem Hines the best. 
I mean, this is tragic in a lot of ways because unless the Bills are trying to be, Bills are trying to be super nice to him, and he just joined them last year, so I don't know. If they have a reason to be right. This is NFI. This is non-football injury. This yep. is you don't get paid, right? Now, who, who knows what he's got in his contract and and what have you, right? But then he's got to deal with the injury too. On the other side, you always say we're injury analysis, right, guys? Not injury reporting. The reports are, I believe him, Jetski. I mean, uh, Tom Pelissaro, right. very reliable friend of the show and Sports Injury Central, etc. Don't doubt that one bit. The fact that he was stationary. Don't doubt that one bit. Don't doubt mm. that reporting. Uh, don't doubt the reporting that it's ACL now. When it first came out, it was stationary, got hit. I thought it was like someone slammed into his knee and you're talking tibial plateau fracture or something like that. But this one, if you tore his ACL, seems more non-contact in nature, which I guess is good because you have to assume, I can't assume, I guess. I mean, chances are not unreasonable that it was somebody he knew. Right. Not not that it was purposeful, obviously, but... Just, you know, you're in a group of people, yeah. Uh, and, you know, you may not be knowing how to draw. I mean, how many times have I – look, um, I've seen it before when I've gone skiing with the family and someone trying to be funny, trying to spray snow on someone as you're stopped there, and they come a little too close, a little <laughs> too, you know, a little whatever, by accident, and yeah. no one's really hurt. But, you know, there's no brakes on a jet ski, right? No. I mean, so – and here's the other thing. I'm wondering what really happened. I mean, I don't doubt Pelissaro's reporting that he was stationary. But I would also assume, once again, making an ass out of you and me, assume that it was probably a wave runner rather than a jet ski. There aren't that many jet skis out there. Anymore. Jet skis are the old school where you're standing on a little – wave runner is what everyone yeah. is on. Right. You had to be standing. And maybe he was waiting for his friend or somebody because that's how then the base moves. And it's very, very, very unlucky. It's because the wave runner moves, although the wave runner is pretty big. If you if your foot is planted, we all know that's how you tear your ACL. Now maybe he had you know some sort of rubber shoes on that let him be planted while standing on the wave runner, and he got hit, and then this is thus his knee was stuck to the ground. Maybe it's possible. Bare feet would be harder. He had to be really be standing, not sitting. Right. You know, uh, it seems like a very unusual injury. For example, very few people, I'm in San Diego, tear their ACL surfing because the board isn't stable. Yeah. You do tear your ACL surfing, you jump off the wave and you're in shallow water and you, do, right. and you land and your foot sticks and whatever. But actually on a board is very uncommon. I mean, you go back to skiing again. You tear your ACL when your bindings stay on. When your bindings release poor footing, you don't tear your ACL in general. Okay. So, but maybe this was like a, and you can tear your ACL. I've seen it a lot of times in line getting on and off the ski lift. So maybe this was a jet ski wave runner type thing that way. But I don't know. The bottom line is it's still a lot of bad luck. I guess that's my point of view. It's probably your friend or someone and you're having fun. It didn't, hopefully you weren't doing anything dangerous. No reason to think that it was. And the friend, assuming it was, probably feels really bad. And it was just a bad set of circumstances. 
And even with that, I think it's very unusual to tear your ACL in a wave runner, um, but not impossible. So all the stars aligned in a very negative way for poor Naim Hines. Uh, I didn't, didn't think you had water sports uh, injury analysis there, Doc. That was impressive to, to <laughs> Look, put all those circumstances together. If, if we do hot dog eating contests, we, <laughs> and we've been yeah. good at those, you know. Yeah. Joey Chestnut, that was a give me under two years ago. That was so we've done like always medical related and we right. try and do some analysis. The bottom line is we wish them the best. Don't know the circumstances of how it happened, but it seems right. like a lot of bad stars align there. Just like a lot of bad stars kind of aligned, but it ended up with a good ending, you know, cost some money. And I still got to get my car fixed because now the suspension and the, who knows. Yeah. Da, 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 it's going to cost a lot of money. But we, we were just trying to get off the highway, there was no shoulder. Yeah. Right. I mean, would never try and first of all, it was beyond changing a flat tire. And I would be right. My car doesn't even have a, uh, uh, you don't have a spare. No, it doesn't come with one. I guess I didn't upgrade. No, it doesn't <laughs> come with one. Uh, but anyways, um, and, and by the way, the tow truck has to be a flatbed tro tow truck because, you know, I don't know, right. whatever <laughs> the technical reasons. I was just trying to get the kids somewhere safe and I didn't want them on the side of the road, but figured. Right safe would be across that concrete block median yeah. off. and not only for us but like if cars are still speeding by i mean then cars are trying to change lanes out of our lane i mean that's an accident for someone else waiting to happen so no, definitely we were just trying to be you know whatever the bad set of circumstances it was during a part of the highway with no shoulder and all the construction right, right? but it could have been worse it could have been the night before at night on the way back from Savannah. Yeah, Banana. trying to come back. <laughs> I mean, no, Hans, it could have been worse, I guess. You know, there's always a worse scenario. You've been right. a lot of bad luck there. Anyways, enough of water sports analysis. We were doing water sports this weekend. <laughs> I bet. Warm out there. So good. Smart to get in the water. Uh, yeah. A little better circumstances for uh, the Lions, it looks like, early on at least. Uh, there's a bit of a scare this morning. CJ Gardner-Johnson reportedly went down non-contact, was carted off, but uh, the... Initial imaging they got back showed no structural damage. At least that's that's the report. So it seems more of a day to day. He's going to miss some camp time, but should be ready for the start of the season. So that's hopefully hopefully that holds yeah. true. Any time you hear non contact, look, fifty percent of teams go into the season with an injury before week one, right? Then in, this is the season. There's a few that happen in OTAs and, and mini camps, but anyways, that's what you're trying to stay away from. The other big news right now is all the camp reporting. PUP, yes, PUP, no PUP. Does it really matter that much? Look, we've said all along, Brees Hall, we don't think is all the way there yet and will be a struggler in the on. The PUP doesn't surprise us. We expect it. We would not be shocked with the PUP going to reserve PUP for the regular season, missing six weeks. We would not be surprised. But it's too early to say, ah, see, told you so, PUP, Brees Hall. All okay. it means is, you know, he can come off any day, any time. It just means there's something going on there. Same with the Bengals. Our preseason injury preview, the two big worries there, Ouzier uh, coming off his ACL, and he's PUP right now. And Leo Collins at right tackle, and he's PUP right now. And this is why they're flipping over uh, Jonah Williams to the right side. He's coming off his own injury. That's why they signed a new left tackle, et cetera. All this is in preseason injury preview. And uh, that's out basically now. Go to the website, sportsinjurycentralsicscore.com, and we're putting all that stuff out, videos, information, and there's a 
report that you can have that's like a mini book or really a book that you all put together of all these things. And that's what we referred to last year uh, earlier in this podcast with saying, take the Vikings for the NFC North. It was really based on the preseason injury preview with the offensive line issues with the uh, uh, Packers last year. And it was Packers under Vikings over and Vikings plus 240 to win the division. Not always nuggets every year for every division, but certain divisions, there are some nuggets in there. So I would go get that. But one more thing, even though we are covering, right, who's on PUP, who's not, and who's coming off, I wouldn't make too much of who is on PUP and who is not. Uh, let's take Kyler Murray, for instance. I don't think there's been a camp yet. There's no report of PUP or not. I could see it either way. We're very firm saying Kyler Murray is nowhere near 100%. What was the the team-produced special that he was on? Yeah, it was the uh, Cardinals flight path. Flight path. Followed his ACL recovery. They put it out a week ago, week and a half, something like that. So. Look, unless him throwing a ball to his dad and otherwise was much earlier in the process, he doesn't look close to ready. No, right. he wasn't stepping to throws, wasn't even using the right leg too much. So, And I don't think he was close to ready as a pocket quarterback. Right. Although right. we've said all along he could be ready as a pocket quarterback, a la Joe Burrow, a la Phillip Rivers in the past, et cetera, but not as a mobile run pass guy. That's why we have our sixth score for him really low at 38 in other words, if you're expecting a 4,000-yard season, you got to expect 38% of it based on missing time and or less than 100% right. or whatever your fantasy scoring and draft stuff uh, that you want to say. But it, And I'm not hedging here. And this, I will have to say, was brought up by Howard Balzer. He says, you think it's possible in one school of thinking is – Kyler Murray won't be on PUP. And there's a couple reasons for him not to be on PUP to start training camp. Number one, from a look, from a marketing perspective, Flight Path already put out quotes from Kyler Murray that said, the goal is week one. We're headed towards that goal. This is what we're trying to do. Nothing wrong with that. Right. Guarantee, will he make it? I don't know. I've said all along, He's more likely to miss the entire season than he is to be ready in 100% week one. And the reason why I say that is that contractually, first of all, if he's more of a pocket guy, do you want him? If he's not 100% mobile, do Cardinals fans want him? Not because of quality, but also you don't want him to get hurt in other ways if he's not escapable. And Kyler Murray's not a tall guy. Is a pocket guy going to work for him? And guess what? He's had no off-season program to new and learn a new offense, new OC, new new coaches, everything. He's had no chance to do that. So can't you see a scenario where, let's say, he's getting close to ready to go six, eight weeks, or he's ready to go at 10 weeks, but if the Cardinals are one in whatever or two in whatever – are you potentially better off just getting him to 100% and letting him sit the rest of the way? Too early to make that decision, but that's why I say that. But don't think I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here. Howard Balzer brought this up, and I said, well, yeah, I could see this. He said, what do you think about the idea that they would not put Kyler Murray on PUP to start training camp? 
the reason why that that could make sense is not necessarily signaling his health. That's part of it that maybe they think he's closer than some of us think, but that doesn't mean he's 100%. You don't have to be 100% to pass a physical, okay? Mm -hmm. To pass a physical and not be on PUP, you do not have to be 100%. You have to be cleared to do football activities or at least some football activities. And it's the team that decides whether you're on PUP or not. Jimmy G comes to mind. He cleared he cleared the physical so he can be under center at training camp and stuff like that. So, right. And whether he's just doing hands offs, we'll see. We'll see. Right. And on Jimmy G, we said all along that, yeah, there's worry because you heard the late stories about needing the foot surgery, but we didn't expect it to leak into the season. Mm -hmm. um, and so he's not on PUP. But the reason for Kyler Murray to not be on PUP is that if you're on PUP, you cannot practice at all with the team. And maybe it's important for Kyler Murray from leadership, new teammates, coaches, et cetera, scheme. Okay, maybe he's not going to be 100%, but maybe it's important to take some five and seven step drops in the pocket. Maybe it's important to learn some reads and calls at the line of scrimmage. Maybe that's important for Kyler Murray given new coaches. But you just obviously red jersey, no one's going to touch him. You're not going to have him run and scramble or do anything. So yeah. it, not talking out of both sides of her mouth here, but that's why a team might leave Kyler Murray off of PUP and, and give Howard Balzer some credit for bringing up that topic. But that's possible that they could do that. So a team makes all these decisions in different ways. So let's not read too much. And, you know, we're going to give you our interpretation of what PUP means and doesn't for certain players. But I don't know that we're changing anything if a player is on PUP or isn't on PUP. Javante Williams is not on PUP right, right now. And of course, it's the short version, the active PUP, where they count against the 90 man. He could come off any day if you were even on it. Maybe the Broncos felt like, look, let's see what he can do. New coaching staff, same thing. We don't have to put him through all the rigors. We want him practicing with the team some, which he hasn't been yet, all OTA. I don't – look, I'd love to see new video of him running very well, but the latest video from a couple weeks ago, he wasn't close yet to 100%. Hopefully he's made some progress. So don't read too much into PUP one way or the other. Right, right now because that status can change just like that a player on pup can come off and be fine and a player who doesn't make it to pup there are still reasons we have not changed our six score on javante williams yet we still think it's more jk dobbins last season he's the jk dobbins of this season mm -hmm. still in our mind but hopefully that explains it a little bit yeah you can head to the uh, website for all the latest sick insights uh we've been releasing uh snippets of our preseason preview but we also got some fantasy articles as well i know we pointed to uh, samaj p ryan as as a potential javante williams uh option behind javante williams that could get more work early in the season i uh, want to jump to baseball real quick we have uh, baseball insights up today as well uh reports that aaron judge is taking bp now kind of fits our timeline we you always said if it's if he makes it back before august it'd be great news so it seems like he's on track for beginning of august yeah, it's good to hear. And, and, and fantasy-wise, you guys wanted to go over. I don't know why you want to look at me for fantasy <laughs> thinking, but 
Scott Fish Bowl 13. Their draft is still going on. We're around, what, 17 or something? Anyways, um, we can do that next week. Aaron uh, Jones. Uh, Aaron Jones. <laughs> Football Aaron mode. Judge. <laughs> so, Jay, Aaron yeah. Judge. He hasn't been out in the outfield because he can't run around. So why can't he just DH and hit bombs? Because it's back foot. You right. get up on that big toe, the turf toe. Some BP is good. I haven't seen the video. Is it full swing BP or is it meet the ball, make contact BP? I'm sure they scrubbed the internet of that video. So, <laughs> so at this point, look, I think we we're the first to say he's not coming back for the all-star game until after the right. all-star break. And that right. was turned out to be easy. And then with the reports of not being in the field, we said August. And the question is when in August? Uh, first week, first few days or late? But we were always on record saying he'd be back this season. It's just a matter of when. Right. It's just they're in last place right now. I know they're uh, they're uh, six games above 500, but wild card, they're two games out. Like there's a certain point that, like you said, how late in August is too late, right? Like if yeah, there's well, certain Late, late enough for uh, our uh, sick pick subscribers oh, to hit their yeah. second half futures. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I know that was. I know that was one of the Yankees was one of the unders because of Aaron Judge. For sure. Uh, and you had a few. We had a few of those. So, as long as our sick picks uh, subscribers are happy, then look. I hope the Yankees do well. I hope Aaron Judge yeah. comes back. But so far, you know that that future second half pick is looking pretty good uh, based on some of the injury things. Yeah, you can look. You can follow us on Twitter as well for the latest content. We might even have a uh, pre-trade deadline uh, MLB preview for which which uh, teams have some injury holes that they might be looking to plug or uh, or candidates for for moving on the deadline. And uh, for baseball, a lot of sleeper stuff now, uh, prize picks, mm-hmm. underdog type stuff. Use the SIC code for the three hundred dollar matching, and. Uh, we put out some good content, I think. I mean, I've played with it, but you guys, I just do the injury analysis. The rest of the team does the picks based yes. off of it. And especially when combined with the, the special sale or freebie stuff or the reduced lines, you guys are killing it whenever yep. you do that uh, line. It's not 100%, but whenever you can hit, you know, two, three, four-way parlays at over 50%, I mean, that's pretty good. Uh, bang for the buck. You got the Taco Tuesday picks. On prize picks, you've got the sleeper specials, and uh, check out the website and uh, get all that stuff. Uh, thanks for watching and listening. Next week, we'll, uh, you know, uh, I like last week's Robert Smith was awesome. I like last yeah. week's uh, Joe Thomas. I think it's Hall of Fame season. Yeah, let's get another. Let's try and find another Hall of Famer to uh, to get on here and talk some uh, football since it's uh, Hall of Fame season. It's the first game. Anyways, thanks for listening and watching Pro Football Doc Sports Injury Central podcast. And uh, we'll see you next week or all week on uh, Twitter.